Welcome back to another edition of the Cats Illustrated Podcast. I am your host and publisher, Justin Rowland, and joining me today is somebody I've known for quite a while, Devils Illustrated publisher, Brian McLawhorn, here on the Rivals.com and Yahoo Sports Network. And just so listeners know, before I, I turn it over to Brian for a little bit, back in the day, before I got this publisher gig, I was writing about football recruiting for a lot of team sites across the Rivals Network, as all of you know. And the Duke site was one of the first ones that I was I was writing for, I think, if I recall. So before any Kentucky fans get bothered by that, I was never on the Duke basketball side or the basketball recruiting beat. So, Brian, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. It's good to talk to you. And, uh, yeah, I miss you having around doing football recruiting. But uh, everybody moves along, so it's, uh, it's a good thing for you. Kentucky and Duke both doing a lot better on the football field than they were back in those days. <laughs> So, so true. Very, very different. But this is about basketball. I mean, I think Kentucky fans have been diverted and, and very interested in football this season. But once Tuesday night comes and it's, you know, 930 and it's Kentucky and it's Duke, I don't want to – it's hard to say any November 6th college basketball game is super important or, or huge, but this is as huge as it gets under those circumstances. I mean – the storylines are obvious to everybody who follows college basketball. Um, we've seen these teams, you know, in the preseason. We've seen them over the summer. We've seen them through a couple of exhibition games. Um, kind of talked it out. Uh, what, what are your initial thoughts on this on this matchup? I mean, Kentucky opened as a one-point favorite, which, you know, I think a lot of Kentucky fans will probably be there. So that's probably the lines makers saying they think it's going to be, you know, pretty much a push. What are, what are your thoughts on it, just big picture? Oh, man, you know, it's it's so hard to gauge something that's the first game of the season, you know, particularly when you've got, like Kentucky and Duke, when it's, for the most part, new teams. I mean, we've, we've, we've had such a small sample size to look at them. But, you know, I think that's fair. Uh, Kentucky's, you know, I think it's hard to say three players hold, you know, give you an advantage, but that one year of experience for uh, – for Kentucky's young guys, Quade Green and P.J. Washington, and of course Reed Travis has a little bit more experience than that. I, you know, there's value to that. <laughs> and you know, through those first two games, those exhibition games, you know, it's hard to take a lot out of it when you're playing D2 teams. But you know, it, it was evident. Obviously, Duke's super talented, but they've also got to learn to talk defensively. That none of those guys have had to do that. You know, and none of the freshmen on either team have had to do that in high school. So. Uh, you know, I think it's going to be a fantastic game. It's crazy to me that it's the very first game of the season. Um, that makes fans happy, I'm sure. But you know, usually we see that you know one or two games under each team's belt against you know a lower tier Division One team. So it'll be interesting to see how both teams kind of thrown into fire, how how they're going to react. But. I expect a good one because there's a lot of talent on that court, and it'll be fun to watch. I know Kentucky fans, Duke fans, are thrilled to get the season started this way. I kind of feel like the game is its not a win-win for Duke fans, but I feel like it's closer to a win-win for Duke because I think the narrative, and understandably so, the narrative if Kentucky wins is going to be, well, they're the more experienced team. You know, do what's the, what's the outcome of the game going to be like if these two teams play on like April first or April second? I mean, you you, th- you see see that kind of be in the way that this is framed afterwards, regardless of the outcome. Yeah, I think so. And listen, I mean, it's Kentucky's young, despite you, sure you've got those three guys, and yeah, that's important. But these teams are so young, and I, that's that's the narrative because I think that that's the one thing that people can pull out. That's the difference, you know. Like whereas. You know, Duke's got Javin Delorier and Marquise Bolden, but Bolden's been completely yeah, non-existent during his Duke career. So you can't really 
place much value on what he's done. So I think that's the narrative. But the real truth, it, you know, win, lose, or draw for either team, it's not going to define the season. It's not going to speak a whole lot about what this team is. It is for you know for each team for right now. It'll say a lot. But you're right. Like when you get to March and April, you know, for the national championship, if both teams are lucky enough to make it to that point, you know, I think we'll, you know it'd be fun to see that match up again because I think it'd look very, very different for both teams because now you've got all those freshmen with a full season behind them, and you know you, that would be a just a, a fantastic clash, I think, between two really talented teams. But I think absolutely the narrative right now is well. Kentucky's got those you know, little bit more experience. I mean, but let's be real; it's not a whole lot more experience. Without doing the research, I'm going to take a stab and guess this is the first time that Calipari at Kentucky has faced a team with three players ranked higher as recruits than any player on Kentucky's team. I think that's probably a pretty <laughs> safe bet, Brian. I got to say, when I was thinking about this game after watching Kentucky in the Bahamas. I honestly got it in my head that Kentucky was going to was going to make a statement against Duke. I was thinking this Duke team super inexperienced. Kentucky just looks like a juggernaut. And then the exhibition games came, and I have to say, and I'm going to get in some hot water with people on our site. They're going to say you're overreacting. You're you're blowing the exhibition games out of proportion. They they were tired because they had practiced the day of whatever. I just. I was a little bit underwhelmed by Kentucky in the exhibition games. I think that the games weren't as free-flowing as the pro teams in the Bahamas made it out to be. I think maybe they were tired. Maybe maybe it was just a, a little bit of nerves. And watching Duke, frankly, they haven't taken their foot off the gas. I mean, Zion Williamson, like 29 points against Virginia Union, just, just surreal to watch him play. R.J. Barrett, 23 points, ultra-efficient. Cam Reddish struggled a little bit more. But I have to say, the exhibition season made me think, I know everybody's picking Kentucky, but or a lot of people are. I wouldn't be shocked if Duke won this game. I mean, from the exhibition season, has that kind of changed the way you thought about the matchup? You know, I don't know. Honestly, after the exhibition games, I kind of felt like, and I didn't get a chance to watch much of Kentucky. Either, but I'll be upfront with that. So right. I don't really know what they're working with. But I, to be honest, coming out of the exhibition games, I wasn't as strong on them as I thought I would be. Because we got such a small sample of them when they were in Canada, because Cam Red, neither Cam Reddish nor Trey Jones played in that uh, event, and they're such crucial components to how that system works. So we didn't really get to see what Duke really was in Canada. But the, that first exhibition game, I kind of felt the same way about that Virginia Union game as you're talking about that, that you felt with Kentucky during the exhibition games, because yeah, you know, I felt defensively they really lagged and it was pretty evident and, and they did pick that up in the second half um after coach k kind of got into them a little bit that they needed to talk more they needed to communicate and you know, be more aware with their man-to-man defense and then they got to that second exhibition game and they looked fantastic i mean that was they were great that was beyond what i expected so i've kind of got mixed feelings a little bit about them because i, I don't know what I should be seeing after seeing the two the two games. They kind of don't really compare. I think Trey Jones is the key to all of this. As talented as Zion and RJ and Cam Reddish are, I think Trey is the absolute key because he keeps all those guys happy. He keeps the system running offensively. And, you know, I, I, I just think – I don't think they've got enough right now in terms of cohesiveness on the court – 
as a unit to necessarily be able to pull off the win over Kentucky. I'm sure I'll get a lot of flack for that saying that as well. But right now, I kind of came out of those exhibition games feeling like Kentucky. Um, but also kind of came, came out not really sure what to expect out of this Duke team. After this podcast, we can just swap sites. I'll go cover the Duke site, <laughs> and you can cover the Kentucky site. Now, I, I mean, as far as... Duke, one of the big questions everybody's had, people have said, I, I, I saw a website the other day that said the, the number one question about each team in the top four or five or whatever it was, and for uh, for uh, North Carolina, it was like perimeter defense, and I was like, I thought, you know, they've got some more questions than that. For Kentucky, right. it was, uh, for Kentucky, it was um, who's going to be the go-to scorer late in games. I think that there are other questions as well. The point guard play looked a little bit unsettled the exhibition season. The uh, the rim protection is not vintage Calipari. It looks like, frankly, the defensive communication, like you said with Duke, w- was lacking. I mean, IUP and Transylvania basically ran their sets. They ran their offense without Kentucky disrupting too much. So we could have a high-scoring game um, in this one. The other question about Duke is, Zion, RJ, Cam, certainly not identical players, but they do a lot of the same things. Um, how does that overlap work, and how, how does it jive together from, from what you've seen so far? Well, to be honest, I was a little bit pleasantly surprised with how those three worked together because I thought that was the big question going in. It's like, how are these guys going to be cohesive? Zion's kind of the outlier because of his size and strength, and he can kind of be more of the inside-out guy than the other two. But... Um, they, they seem to play really well together. I mean, RJ was more of the, is playing more of the slasher, attack the rim kind of role. And Cam Reddish is kind of hanging out around the perimeter and, you know, looking to shoot the ball. So right now, that seems to be the, the dynamic. Now, I, I asked Cam Reddish after one of those exhibition games about that dynamic, and he kind of got a little defensive with me because he felt like, hey, I don't want to be, you know, pigeonholed as this shooter. Right. I can drive to the basket. Yeah, understandably, but, yeah. But, you know, and I understand that. I've seen him do it on high school level. But the fact is, is that was kind of the role. Now, in his defense, he did have a non-displaced fracture to his rib that impacted his ability to move a little bit. I mean, it wasn't anything significant. But, you know, giving him the benefit of the doubt, maybe that, maybe I didn't see what his role really will be. But I think that right now seems to be kind of the role. And Zion's just kind of all over the place. I think he's the physical presence that tries to uh, – kind of imposes will going to the basket and he's you know let's be honest i mean we've seen him against guys that are 6'5 195 pounds and you know, he's driving to the basket and running the break and all that so it's i think he's he's going to shoot some because he thinks he's kind of that guy that can pull out and shoot right. but i think i think we'll see him be more of in the attack mode uh than any of that so but i think for duke to be successful they don't have a ton of size. I think that's a huge weakness in terms of height and post players, traditional post players. So I think that's going to be huge. He's going to have to play a big role on the glass in in, in the interior. I think bigger than he might anticipate um, heading into like the real college season. So um, I think that'll be a, a, an interesting dynamic to see kind of how that plays out. The matchups are fascinating. You know, one of the storylines in this game is that it's not strength on strength. I mean, Kentucky has Keldon Johnson on the wing to match up with one of those guys, although Keldon certainly hasn't earned the reputation yet as a lockdown guy. And just in a pure talent perspective, you know, he's going to have his work cut out. But 
there's no team in the country that's got three guys that are defensively suited to match up with those three players. Like, you might have one guy. You might have two guys if you're lucky. But, you know, some Kentucky teams, uh, one of the problems against Wisconsin a few years ago, they'd have one guy capable of matching up with a player like Duke has on the wing in that trio. But on the other side... Who does Duke have to match up with Reed Travis, with P.J. Washington? They get the ball down there on the block. Um, I don't want to say P.J. is an under-the-rim player, but Travis maybe more so. Just kind of wide-body, you know, axe-to-grind players that that bang. Who's going to take a step forward for Duke this year? Delorier, uh, Bolden? I mean, what does that front court look like in terms of the development aspect from what you've seen? Well, to be honest, it's going to have to be one of those guys. And honestly, Mark, Marquise Bolden has shown me nothing in the way that he's going to be that guy. He wasn't. He, he, he lost minutes in Canada. Um, Antonio Vrankovic took some of his minutes in Canada against you know low-tier Canadian college basketball teams that he should have been dominating. And he started in the two exhibition games, kind of to my surprise. And I think some of that had to do with Javon Delorier was still battling some injuries that he kind of dealt with over the summer. Um, so I think some of that had to do with that. But um, I think it's got to be Javon Delorier because I don't see it happening from Marquis Bolden. But here again, Javon's not like this true post player. He's, I mean, he's athletic and he's gotten a lot stronger uh, since he arrived from when he arrived at Duke a few years ago. But I mean, he's not—he's not a guy that can match up with Reed Travis. That's not the type of player he is, and um, so I, that's the big question mark. I think that is what's going to determine how how good Duke can ultimately be this year, not just tomorrow night against Kentucky. You know, that's a deficiency, and Duke's typically been best when they've had you know at least one post player that contributes, one guy that really right. you know, can can set the tone and let the other guys on the perimeter. And I just don't know. That, I mean, like I said, Doria's not necessarily that traditional guy, and Bolden showed me nothing to think that he's going to do that this year. So that's the question mark. And I, I think uh, somebody's either going to step up tomorrow night and, and show that, that he can be that guy, or Duke's going to be totally exposed in that department. What have you seen so far from, from Trey Jones? I mean, I, I, my impression of him is he's a guy who. who who is going to put his heart into the defensive side? He doesn't. It doesn't look like he's going to be a. It's going to be a struggle for him to be a facilitator. It looks like that's something that he's gonna. He's gonna thrive or he's gonna embrace doing. Um, I, I do have some questions about him, but I think that people are probably sleeping on him a little bit because of the way they're talking about the big three. What have you seen from him so far? And, and I guess what should expectations be for him early in the season and long term? I agree with you 100%. Like, he is kind of the guy people are forgetting about. But like I said a little earlier, is I think he's the key to Duke's ultimate success because he's already earned the respect of all those other guys on the team. Like, they, they look to him as a leader because he's a voice out there on the floor and he play, he's confident. He carries himself with his head held high, and those guys respect that. And he really has a command of, the, of Duke's system. Uh, already and sure he'll make some mistakes probably have some bumps in the road early once he starts playing against better competition but I think he's really he's a hustle guy he sees the floor well he really sets up his teammates and you know I think the I think he was like uh, one rebound short and two points short of having a triple double in that last exhibition game 
Um, he's had 10 assists in each of those exhibition games with one and maybe two turnovers in those games. So he really handles the ball well, protects the ball, doesn't make stupid plays, but he's a really big hustle guy too. You can count on him you know, not sleeping on, on defense. You can count on him not sitting around watching the other guys work and make shots. He goes after the rebounds. He's really trying to be an effort guy. But I think the one question I have with Trey Jones is he's got to show an ability to make some shots when teams really, you know, place that focus on the big three and that opportunity comes for him to make some mid-range jumpers or maybe hit something from the perimeter every once in a while. He's got to be able to show that he can do that to keep defenses all honest. And, you know, we, we didn't see a defense that had that could force that, obviously, in the exhibition, so he didn't have to do that. But that's the question. But I do like Trey Jones. I think he's, he's really – he doesn't have quite the swagger and maybe killer instinct that his brother Tyus had, but he's a smart player, and he absolutely can kind of be the glue for that offense, and really from the defense because he sets the tone with ball pressure. Kind of feel like Alex O'Connell is somebody that Kentucky is going to have to be wary of. It just seems like in a game like this, he's the kind of guy who's going to come in and like maybe Duke gets down, starts to feel overwhelmed. They pull him off the bench and he knocks down like two or three threes just to just to kind of you know settle everything down. He's going to get plenty of open looks because of those other guys. Is is he somebody that that I'm overstating the significance of? Or I mean, it's my understanding he's going to play some pretty significant minutes off the bench this year. Yeah, no, I, I like Alex O'Connell a lot, maybe more than a lot of other people because I think he really he, number one brings a lot of energy off the bench um he's and it's really infectious to the rest of the team but he can hit big shots and he's aggressive offensively he will drive to the basket um the one thing that's it's kind of funny with alex is we someone in the media asked coach k in one of the press conferences a couple weeks ago about alex o'connell and he said alex the big thing with alex is he needs to remember to look both ways before he crosses the street <laughs> yeah and, and i think that's a great description because he really Sometimes he, he gets ahead of himself. He's not always aware of the situation, and it gets him in trouble sometimes. Um, so he's got to avoid that. He's got to play a little smarter. And I think, too, with him, last year, Coach had a quick trigger with, with Alex. He had a short leash. If Alex made a mistake, he was pulled, and he didn't see the court again. So I think he's got to have tougher skin this year, number one, to handle that kind of scrutiny from his coach and expectations from his coach. But – if he does, man, he can be a spark plug because he can put points up in a hurry. And if guys are focusing on the big three, he's going to have opportunities, like you said, to really shoot from the perimeter. And if he takes advantage of that, he could be an X-factor kind of guy for Duke going forward. I'll keep this uh, brief, but just to kind of wrap up, um, I, when I'm thinking about how this game is going to play out, I mean – there's going to be the game within the game. These guys are going to be going at each other. They're going to they're going to have something to prove. I feel like Duke, I, Kentucky seems to have the depth advantage. You know, at least on paper. That's not to say Duke doesn't have bodies that they can put on the floor, guys that are going to develop over the season. But I think from what I saw in the Bahamas, Kentucky is going to want to run to try to get into Duke's bench to maybe cause some foul issues. Um, to get you know open shot attempts for Quade and Tyler Hero where they're where they're at their best and you know Duke is certainly going to score some points in in a game like that or do you think that they might try to slow it down I mean what kind of game do you think Duke wants to play No I honestly don't think they will try to slow it down but I think you're right Duke Kentucky has that clear advantage that depth I mean it could it could really come back to bite Duke if they try to run 
with Kentucky in that regard. But I think that's probably the approach because it's a really free-flowing offense, and I don't know that these guys are comfortable enough to, to really make a slowed-down system work um, because you know, they're, they're really high-energy guys, and they all like to push it and play in transition. So, yeah, I don't know how that will work out for them, but that'll be a question mark. Um, and particularly, you mentioned the game within the game, a lot of these head-to-head matchups. You know, we're talking about guys that went at it, you know, in high school on these AAU scenes. They're out to prove something, all of them, yep. with each other. And, you know, that's that's going to play a part in how tired some of these guys get quickly. You know, and if, if R.J. Barrett and Keldon Johnson are knocking heads back and forth, you know, that's going to wear on, on guys. And if Kentucky's got more bodies, more efficient bodies and guys that can contribute at a higher level than Duke's bodies, then – you know, that's a clear advantage, I think, and I think Duke needs to be careful of that. I have, I did pick Kentucky to win the game by three points. I'm feeling much less confident, and my score was closer because of what I saw from the teams in the exhibition season. Frankly, a little bit more impressed with Duke. The big question for Kentucky, in my mind, is I think they've got one guy that matches up with that big three. I think it wouldn't surprise me if Zion or RJ went, went off for 30 points. I don't know how Kentucky counters that. And if we're talking about Tyler Hero trying to stay in front of RJ Barrett, I just think that's a losing proposition when Kentucky is on defense. So I think it's a toss-up, but do you, you have a prediction on the game, or do you want to keep that to yourself? I, I mean, I, I think it's a toss-up. Uh, I, I agree on that. I've kind of been leaning more toward Kentucky through this process. Um yeah, I think it'll be a close game. I think it'll probably be a high-scoring game. I kind of feel like Kentucky's going to come out on top. I, you know, but I've been wrong plenty of times. Yeah. <laughs> either way, so we'll see how it plays out. I think either way, it's going to be fun, and I'm jacked up to be there to watch it. All guesswork, man. If you guys want to follow Brian on Twitter, what's your what's your Twitter Twitter handle for the game tomorrow night? It is Brian Rivals. Excellent, Brian. Thank you so much, man. Great talking to you again. Have a good night. Thanks, Justin. You too. Brian McLawhorn of com does a fantastic job. Just a really good guy. I've worked with him for a long time. Worked for him for a long time on the football recruiting side. He covers Duke. Very objective. I think if you can't listen to that conversation and come away thinking that either one of us were trying to spin things towards Kentucky or towards Duke because I, I just think that that's a mistake, especially this year. I mean, I think that can, Kentucky – probably has more reasons to be optimistic about the game. And I think the point that all of us at Cats Illustrated and the staff roundtable and the staff predictions were were kind of alluding to using different words was Kentucky has greater depth of talent and greater roster balance than Duke early in the season. And then coupled with Duke's, you know, great inexperience, I would still give Kentucky the edge. I mean, Duke has obviously a talent advantage at the top end of the roster, but um, with the game being so early in the season and the fact that Kentucky's guys aren't exactly lacking in the talent department, I, I would have to go with Kentucky, and I would pick Kentucky 100 times out of 100, you know, being forced to pick it. But it wouldn't surprise me if uh, if Duke came out on top. I mean, I think it's – I feel confident picking Kentucky because I think they are going to elevate their game from what we saw in the exhibition season, but that's the main reason. Again, based on the exhibition season, I was a little bit surprised that they weren't they didn't appear to be farther along because Calipari had had not really tamped down expectations at all. I mean, he had he had made it clear this team was so far along that 
he was worried they might peak too early. And exhibition games are not enough of a sample for me to say, well, he was wrong. But I'm just waiting to see um, if that team from the Bahamas shows up early in the season and if that if that peaking ha- does indeed happen in, in December or January. So it'll be, it'll be very fun to watch. Before we uh, move on, I wanted to remind everyone that this podcast is sponsored by Canfield Realty Group, which is currently offering a 40% commission rebate. And that's the deal when you buy a home with Steve Canfield as your agent. No strings, 100% legal. We're proud to have Canfield Realty Group as a Cats Illustrated sponsor, and you are hearing this. You're going to see the ad on our website because we believe they're offering something of interest to our community. Steve Canfield has a perfect five-star rating on 119 reviews, 104 sales in the past year alone at Zillow. Been working in real estate for 41 years, sold over 3,400 properties, and he's ranked in the top 10 out of 3,500 agents in the Louisville area. So you, you want to buy a home, you and your spouse want to buy a home, you want to you want to upgrade, you want to downgrade, whatever. You've had a conversation, you've you've had a passing thought in your mind. 40% commission rebate. Take that money, pocket it, put it towards the new house, put it into the house whatever you want. Totally legal. You can go to canfieldrealtygroup.com or call Steve Canfield 502-649-5687. That's 502-649-5687. I did mention that I picked Kentucky to win this game. Travis Graff, our new contributor. You guys have known him as BBN. Uh, he's he's putting some handicapping action on the site. He's he's going to bring inside scoop that he gets for football, for basketball, whatever he brings to the table. I can verify that he talks to legitimate sources, and he's going to have some worthwhile stuff to continue posting. He picked Kentucky by eight. Jeff Drummond picked Kentucky. Jeff is going to be at the game. He's, uh, he's traveling up tomorrow, I want to say. Warren will be covering football practice for us. I'm thinking I'm going, and it'll be Jeff and I there, but I'm not 100% sure. My wife, as some of you know, is 32 weeks pregnant with number five, which is really insane to think about, and it's just as insane as it sounds. Uh, But she has an infection right now, and she's got an elevated heart rate, and with this particular pregnancy, a high-risk pregnancy, nothing to be, you know, terrified about, but some some issues have made it a high-risk pregnancy um, because of the the risk of early labor and and the the elevated heart rate. Um, I'm not... 100% 100% sure um, with the infection if I'm going to be making the trip. But, you know, keep her in your thoughts if you're the praying type. I'd appreciate that. But good, good wishes, well wishes, whatever. Um, I appreciate that. And Jeff will definitely be there either way. Um, I did want to uh, make a note about the Kentucky-Georgia football game. I've written a lot about this at the site. Jeff's written a lot about it. Um, Warren has written about it. Just in summation... Uh, just just wrapping that up, I, I think that was just more about Georgia than about Kentucky. For me, I think Kentucky probably played their C game. I don't believe that they played as well as they could have. I thought that their inability to finish a couple of drives that were on Georgia's side of the field with touchdowns in the first half really hurt them. Um, they recovered from the, from the punt return, but... The story of the game is not really about Kentucky's offense. It's about Kentucky's defense. And it's not really about Kentucky's defense because we've known it's a very good defense. You don't do what you did against Missouri, against Mississippi State, against Florida, against South Carolina for the whole season. You're not the number one scoring defense in the country after eight games unless you're legit. But 
every time Georgia needed to run the ball, they just ran the ball down Kentucky's throats. I mean, they averaged over 11 yards per carry in the third quarter. Late in the first half, Kentucky had answered Georgia's touchdown earlier with a field goal, make it 7-3. to Crowd's kind of getting into the game. Georgia goes on like a 14-play, 75-yard, 5-minute, 55-second drive. And in the middle of the game, Kentucky floundered, Georgia asserted itself. And that's when the game was decided. You know, most games are not like 60-minute dominations. It's like pretty even, pretty even. One team just puts its foot on the gas and the other team can't keep up. That's what happened. And I think that would happen almost every time these two teams played. No knock on Kentucky. Kirby Smart just has a well-oiled machine at Georgia. One of the three best programs in college football now. Probably, you know, by accomplishment number four or number five, um, certainly behind Alabama, behind Clemson, behind Ohio State, teams that have won recent national championships. But in terms of if I'm buying stock over the next five years in a college football program, I'm buying Alabama, Clemson, and Georgia. And I'm feeling maybe a little bit stronger about Alabama, maybe a little bit stronger about Clemson, but Georgia's right there. And uh, it's going to be very difficult to win the SEC East. I think Mark Stoops has done a phenomenal job. I think... SEC Coach of the Year should go to Mark Stoops or Nick Saban. It just depends on what you choose to weigh. You know, Nick Saban's kind of facing the same thing that John Calipari, Mike Krzyzewski, Roy Williams face in basketball. They never really get credit. The credit they probably deserve for assembling these teams, for managing these egos, for for the perfection that's required in the, in the quest for a championship... Um, so I could see Nick Saban, if they go on and, and they roll through everybody and they go down as maybe arguably the best college football team of all time with 96 Nebraska with 2001 Miami, I could see a case for Nick Saban, kind of, you know, the, the, the culmination of what he's done as a college football coach, the, the pinnacle of it with this team. I could also certainly see a strong case for Mark Stoops having Kentucky in contention for a trip to Atlanta in the second-to-last SEC game of the season, probably at worst going to the Citrus Bowl in strong contention for a New Year's Six Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl still in play, the Peach Bowl still in play, as you've seen from these bowl prognosticators, some of which are really bad, by the way, but they're, they're you know, you know, they're picking Kentucky in big bowl games, and Mark Stoops or Nick Saban should be coach of the year. That game was about Georgia. The one thing I will say is I, I saw some tweets and I'm not going to single anybody out. Um, and it's not me hating or anything. It's it's not about the, the person. It's when I when I see people say, "Well, Kentucky will be back. Kentucky, you know, is gonna is gonna break through that ceiling." I mean, enjoy it. You know, just enjoy it. Enjoy Kentucky being in contention for a top ten finish in the AP coaches playoff poll. You don't have to beat Georgia. And get a shot at Alabama to get validation as a program. This year has been validation for Kentucky football. When you're Kentucky and you get... It wasn't a humiliation, but it was a domination. When you get dominated by a traditional power on your home field and the response of pollsters is not, oh, same old Kentucky. They keep you the same in one poll. They drop you one spot in another in another poll. You're going to still be very high in the college football playoff. Granted, a lot of top 25 teams lost, but everybody still knows Kentucky is legit. They're a good football team. They're not great. Georgia is a very good football team. Alabama and Clemson are great football teams. People know Kentucky is a good football team, regardless of what happened against Georgia. I don't know that any other team is going to win the East in the near future with the amount of talent 
that Georgia is stockpiling, is amassing with Kirby Smart, because it is scary. They're recruiting at the same level, arguably last year, a higher level than Alabama. And he's like he looks like a Saban clone, frankly. He looks like mini Saban in terms of organization, in terms of getting his teams up for big games, in terms of the physicality at the point of attack, the ability to exert their will. Um, just enjoy the ride. Just enjoy going to the bowl games. Enjoy, you know, being right where they're at in the college football landscape. It could be a whole lot worse. It usually has been a whole lot worse. So don't get caught up in the, well, you know, they're going to break through and they're going to get to that Alabama-Georgia level. I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Um, but they're doing a great job now. So one point on football recruiting, still feeling really good about J.J. Weaver in terms of Kentucky's chances. Would be shocked if he ends up anywhere else. I think they're going to finish pretty strong. I do. I think if you read the War Room today, if you've read the visitor uh, reaction that we've been posting at the site, I think they're going to finish pretty strong this 2018, this 2019 class. I'm sorry, and I've got like 40 more interviews going up over the next you know week plus, along with you know basketball write ups. And the last thing that I'll say here is uh, we've been posting a lot of pro football focus stuff at the site. Uh, we partnered with Synergy Sports, which is just a treasure trove of basketball analytics. And for those of you who have taken issue with the Pro Football Focus player grades, Synergy doesn't do the grades. So the controversial grades aren't going to be there. Although I would argue that the grading really hasn't been that controversial. I mean, Mark Stoops came out and said Devontae Robinson was their best defensive player against Georgia. And that's pretty much what the grades re- reflected, pretty much. Um Nonetheless, but but Synergy will tell you everything. It'll tell you what Nick Richards' you know success rate is when he dips his left shoulder and goes off glass with, you know, his right hand, you know, from the from the right block, and it'll compare him to all of his peers nationally, thousands of players, and it's just gonna be a fascinating way to look at the game. Shot charts, you know, what was Kentucky's efficiency rating when they ran, you know, high pick and roll. It's just, I'm looking forward to posting this stuff because it's something that I don't think anybody else is going to have and it's going to really change the level on which we're able to look at and analyze and talk about Kentucky basketball right in line with how the professionals, with teams, with uh, with general managers, with college basketball coaches are talking about it or studying the game. So, uh, if you're not a member at Cats Illustrated, that stuff's going to be behind a paywall, and I hope you take us up and, uh, and join. But once again, this is uh, Justin Rowland. It's been a great episode. Looking forward to another great day of content tomorrow, talking Kentucky, Tennessee. We've got, uh, we've got an Ask the Expert feature going up, a lot of football recruiting content. David Sisk, our basketball recruiting guru, has a couple of uh, hoops recruiting stories in the works. And, of course, Kentucky Duke tomorrow night. So everybody have a great night, great day tomorrow whenever you're listening, and enjoy the game. See ya.